We're going to continue to talk about what it means to live a good life. And we're going to look at the book of Proverbs. We've been doing that now for the past couple of weeks. We kicked off this series by learning what the beginning of wisdom is, the beginning of this path to a good life. And it starts with the fear of the Lord. It's what Solomon tells us in the first few words of the book of Proverbs. And then we moved on to one of the... One of the <laughs> One of the more important passages of scripture in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, where Solomon kind of lays out what it looks like after we have this fear of the Lord. We learn that we are remembering the words of God, and that we are trusting in God, and that we are honoring God. And that's what it looks like to have this fear of God and, and to live this good life. Today, though, I want to take a step back and look at Proverbs as a whole. One of the things that I love about the book of Proverbs, especially in the context of high school students, is that it is written to students. It is written as a father writes to a son or a mother writes to a daughter, as a parent writes to their child, right? The person that probably loves you the most in this world, the people that love you the most in this world are your parents. They have this unconditional love for you. And if, if, if they could have one thing, one of the things they'd probably say right away is that their kids would live a long, good life. Life That is their hope for you, and that is the context behind the book of Proverbs. And so that's one reason why I love it, is for the context of students, but also it helps us understand what it looks like to live our lives in the gray area. What do I mean by gray area? The Bible is a big book. It's a thick book, right? There's 66 little letters and books in there, and it, has a lot of, it tells us a lot of ways to live our life, but that doesn't cover every little minute detail of your lives, right? It doesn't tell you exactly what to do. It doesn't tell you when it is time to stop hanging out with a bad influence. It, it doesn't tell you if it's wrong or right to watch a rated R movie or to play a mature video game. It doesn't tell you how far is too far with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? It, there are a lot of gray areas in our lives. And I think that even though it doesn't discreetly or, or intentionally tell you what these areas are and what to do in certain aspects and certain decisions in your life, it gives us a book like Proverbs that lays out what it means to live a good life. See, it tells us that there is not only a physical order in this world, but there is a spiritual order as well. And so today, as we look at what it means to live a good life, Instead of looking at a particular text in the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at all of Scripture. We're going to look at the entire Bible, starting in Genesis, ending in Revelation, and we're going to see how Proverbs establishes a spiritual order in this world. So let's get into it. Just how God created a physical order, he also created a spiritual order. And so this is what I mean. At the start of the year, we talked about who God is and the fact that he is our creator, if you read the first two chapters of the Bible, we learn that God created the cosmos, right? God creates the world. He creates the sun and the moon. He creates the order, right? He created gravity. He creates what we know as nature and the rules that are within nature. There is a physical order that we all understand and that we all can see. But then on top of that, he also created a spiritual order. And just like how this physical order is established in Genesis 1 and 2, we see this spiritual order fleshed out in the book of Proverbs. Let me, let me kind of explain this concept a little bit better. Uh, when, in June, me and my wife, Jess, we bought a home. Uh, so we moved into this new house, and we quickly learned that in order to maintain order in our house, I needed to mow the lawn 
like twice, like twice a week in the summer, right? I, I got to come out, the sun comes out, the rains, and, and the grass grows, and my neighbors will start judging me if I don't mow the lawn, right? And then in the fall, I have like, like over like 50 trees on my land, um, which makes me sound like a farmer, like, you know, like, on my land, I got over 50 trees. Uh, it's true, though, I do. There's a lot of, there's a lot of trees. Um, and uh, trees have leaves, and in the fall season, didn't know if you know this, I think one of the reasons why they call it fall is because the, the leaves fall, you know? It's, it's beautiful, it's pretty, but someone needs to pick up those leaves, and that's me, right? If I want to maintain order, if I want to make my house look nice, I got I got to pick up the leaves. And then and then this you know in the past couple of weeks it's been snowing. I got to if I want my wife and I to to pull in and out of the driveway safely, I got to I got to shovel the driveway, right? There is a physical order to owning a home. But on top of that though, there's also a way to live within that home. See, me and my wife have been practicing that ever since we started living together when we got married. Outside of just maintaining a physical order, there's also a way that me and her ought to treat each other. There's, there's a way that we should speak to one another. There's a way that we should love and serve one another. And that is what I mean when I talk about a spiritual order. If we want to live a healthy life spiritually, we need to follow that order. If we want to have a good marriage, if we want to have a good life, we need to know what that order is. And the book of Proverbs lays that out for us really well. Uh, This morning, Pastor Mike, if you guys were there at church this morning, he talked about the Ten Commandments, and he started by talking about this physical or this spiritual order in the world, and how the Ten Commandments kind of help establish the rules in this order, and how we are to live if we want to live this this good life. He was talking about that, and then at one point, he he goes on to say, like, just like how there's a physical order, like. We, we can't break those rules. There are consequences when we break the rules of gravity. So for example, and he literally used this example. I was listening to a sermon where a guy was talking about this idea too, this guy named Tim Keller, and he used the exact same illustration that Mike used. So then I was like, you know what? Green light, I'm going to use it right now. So um, if I went on the top of the bell tower, you know, right over there, it's, I don't know, 50 feet up in the air? I don't know. I'm bad with physics and height and measurements. Is it 50 feet? 30 feet? I, I don't know. It's, it's high. It's high up there, right? If I went up to the top, is it higher than 50? 200? Okay. Is that 20 stories? Is that the equivalent? Is that the math? Is that how that works? That's not 20 stories. No, I'm dumb. I am dumb. (laughs) It is not 20 stories. Anyways, please forgive me. Come back. If I went to the top of the bell tower and started flapping my arms, right, and jumped off the bell tower, we know the consequence of that, right? We know what would happen. And nobody would look at me and be like, Luke's a victim, right? Like, who put that bell tower there? Like, no, everyone would look at me and be like, man, Luke's a moron. He, (laughs) that's really dumb, right? In the same way, in the spiritual world that God has established, we have rules. And there are consequences when we break those rules. We, We put ourselves in danger, like just as if, probably even more danger than if I were to go on the bell tower and try and flap my arms and fly, right? We put ourselves in danger when we do not follow this order. And it is our job to be aware of this order. So that means that we need to read the book of Proverbs and good news, this was written to students. This was written to people, young people your age, so that you can know how to live, how God wants you to live, how you can achieve this good life. It is our job to be aware of what this order is. And here's the truth. To those of you seeking out these answers to how to live and how to decide in, the, in these gray areas of life, 
God does not make those decisions for us. Instead, he gives us the tools necessary to make the right decisions, to continue walking down this path towards the good life. Let me repeat that. God does not do that for us. He does not lay out what to do, when to stop hanging out with a friend. He doesn't tell us those things. Instead, he gives us the tools necessary to, do, to discern what it looks like to live a good life. So we should read the book of Proverbs. We should know this spiritual order and how to walk and live in it if we want to achieve a good life. And this is where the Bible gets even better, right? Because I talked about how we're gonna look through all of scripture, starting in Genesis, right? God creates and establishes this physical order and a spiritual order. And remember, at the end of the sixth day, on day seven, he looks at all of his creation. He looks at the physical order. He looks at the spiritual order and he says, this is good. This is good. And he rests, which is great. But then moving forward, we have an example of what this spiritual order looks like in the Gospels, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of this spiritual order that we have been talking about. And let's just look at a couple of different Proverbs that, that show how Jesus is the flesh, is wisdom in the flesh, just the way that he lives. So Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, we talked about this last week. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Now, when I think about this and what Jesus did, I think about the Garden of Gethsemane, right? If you don't know what happened there, Jesus is, this is the night before he's crucified. He knows that he's about to die on the cross for our sins and he's worried. He knows this brutal thing that's about to happen to him. Some accounts say that he's so anxious about this, he's sweating drops of blood, and he's praying to God the Father and asking him, hey, if there's any other way that we can save these people that we love, let's do that. Please, Lord. And we know that the answer was, was no, there's no other way. And Jesus had to die for us. And we see Jesus submitting to the will of the Father, just like how Solomon is encouraging us to do the same thing in Proverbs chapter 3. And then moving forward, in Proverbs 15, verse 1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This idea of having patience with people. And if you look at Jesus, he hangs out with this motley crew called the 12 disciples, who like pretty much every single story with the disciples in the Gospels, they're putting their foot in their mouths and, and they're making themselves look like fools. And there's never a moment where Jesus is like, you know what, Peter? I cannot, I'm up to here with you. I, he's never stirred up to the point where he lashes out on these disciples that just don't even understand who Jesus is. He's, he's a perfect picture of what it means to be patient. And then Proverbs 19, 11 says, a, per, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. This proverb is, is encouraging us to be forgiving people. And looking at Jesus on the cross, as he's getting nailed, as he's looking down on the people who are responsible for his death, Jesus prays to God the Father and asks that he would forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus is the embodiment of forgiveness. And we ought to be too. Proverbs 22, 4 then goes on to say, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are our riches and honor in your life. Jesus multiple times has an opportunity to kind of show that he is the son of God and that he should be served. And every single time, he is instead choosing humility. So there's a moment where some of the disciples are like, yeah, Jesus, you're a king, right? There's gonna be a moment you're gonna be on the throne. Can, I sit, can we sit on your right and left hand? 
Like, can we be your, like, your right and left arm? You know, like, can we, can we be right there with power? And Jesus instead responds, even though he, remember, he's, he's the vessel of creation. He is, he is the head of the cosmos. Jesus responds by saying, the son of man, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And so that's why he came to earth as a baby to die on the cross for us as a, as a notion of love for us. Jesus is this embodiment of the Proverbs fleshed out for us. So if you want a practical example of what it means to live in this spiritual ordered world created by God, you need to know who Jesus is. If you want to achieve a good life, we need to have a relationship with Jesus. And so as we learned week one in Proverbs chapter one, that it starts with fearing the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord, if you don't submit your life to the power, to the awesome power of who God is, you can't have a relationship with God. So there's another guy that when you think about wisdom that, that, that should come to your head that we've talked about. And it's this man named Solomon, right? And we talked about this week one. Solomon is a guy, he's, a, he's the third king of Israel, son of David. God comes to him in a dream, asks him, what do you want? Right? I'll give you anything you want. Solomon responds by saying, I want wisdom to, to lead my people. And he becomes the wisest person that ever was. And, and, and if not for Jesus, the wisest person ever. Right? But I'm not telling you to look at Solomon as someone who understands the spiritual order of this world. Even though he penned a lot of the book of Proverbs, I'm not telling you to do that because, unfortunately, Sol Solomon failed in a lot of ways. And that's because our spiritual order has been contaminated by sin, right? It's been contaminated by this idea of forgetting who God is, forgetting God's commandments in, in our lives, and we stray away from him. Going back to Genesis chapter three, right? In Genesis, Genesis chapter one and two, we see that the Lord creates the world. It is good, right? In God's design, there was no sin. It's not until Genesis chapter three, it's not until man rebels, eats, eats the fruit, right? That, that it's not until Adam and Eve get kicked out of Eden that we see evil enter this world. We see sin take effect in this world and we see death enter this world to the point to where it's affecting Solomon and, and he's forgetting God's commandments. He, Solomon has like hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. That's not the way you're supposed to live your life. Solomon then, because of those wives, he begins to worship and bow down to other idols. If you, if you paid attention to the Ten Commandments, that's a big no-no. Right? Solomon is forgetting his main purpose as a king, and that is to be a man after, after God's own heart, a man of the law, showing his people who he's ruling over what it looks like to live after the law, and he clearly has forgotten what that is. Solomon has fallen, just like how this spiritual world has fallen. And what's, what's crazy, though, is Solomon lived a prosperous life. Right? He's the king of Israel at the height of their power. They make this incredible temple to God. He has this incredible palace. Solomon, on the outside, is like the richest man, like probably in the world at that time. People, nations around are coming to see Solomon. Like he's a very successful man on the surface. But he has all of these failures. And he's not living according to this order that God has established. And then on the flip side, though, we see Jesus, who is the embodiment of what it means to live a good life, right? Who, who's, who's fleshing out what Proverbs looks like in his day-to-day -day life. And he gets crucified. Like a really bad, a terrible, horrible thing happens to Jesus. 
the person who's living out wisdom. And so when I talk about the spiritual order has been contaminated, another way to say this is because of this, life is unfair. Proverbs shows us this established spiritual order that God created and how things should be. But things have been tainted and corrupted and contaminated by sin. And therefore, we see these terrible things happening. We see the Savior of the world, Jesus, crucified because of the effects that sin has on this world. And he is the only solution to that. We see this in Proverbs chapter, like, so what I mean by this too is we look at the book of Proverbs, we can read some of these verses and maybe that's not exactly how things really go in this world. So for example, Proverbs 22.6, it says this, excuse me, Proverbs 22.6 says this, start children off on the way they should go and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. I mentioned that guy, Tim Keller. He, he brings up this verse when he's talking about this idea of a spiritual order because parents look at this verse and they see that they are doing all the right things. They are, they are bringing their son and do, sons and daughters up in the gospel, but when, it, when time comes to it, these children aren't having faith, right? Like, so clearly something is off here. Then we see in Proverbs 22, 8, it says, whoever sows injustice reaps calamity and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. Ultimately, what this verse is saying is bad people will get what they deserve. They will get what's coming to them. But if we look around in this world, we see bad people all the time getting good things. Good things happen to bad people, and it seems off. And the reality of the situation is life is unfair. Perhaps some of you right now are going through something like that. As I'm, as I'm saying that life is unfair, maybe you are stirring in your seat because you have a relationship that's struggling. Something is an injustice, an injustice going on in your life, a sickness that you're dealing with. You feel overwhelmed. And the reality is because this order has fallen to sin, we will experience that. We will experience suffering and we will toil on this world because this established order that God has created since the beginning of time has fallen and has been corrupted by sin. But here's where hope comes in, because this isn't the end of the story, right? Jesus died, but three days later, he rises again, right? That's, that is the, the heart of why, we, why we're worshiping, right? Like, why we celebrate Easter, why, why we're doing this in, in total is because Jesus has the power over death. And it doesn't end on, on Black Friday, right? Instead, three days later, Jesus shows that he has the power to defeat death, and he rises. He, he moves away the tomb. He gives us hope. So Jesus will one day reestablish God's spiritual order. See, what I mean by that is when Jesus rose again, he then ascended into heaven. And he promised, as he was ascending into heaven, that he will return one day. And we, as believers, not only get to like, have this good life that's talked about in Proverbs, but we also have the ability to look to the future with hope. Despite the unfairness in this world, despite all the evil that, that seems to have a stronghold in this world, we know that our God who created us and who loves us has the power and the plan to defeat this evil. And that should give us hope. Proverbs 16.4 says this, the Lord works out everything to its prosper, even the wicked for a day of disaster. 
What that's saying is God is in control. God is sovereign, and he has a plan to right away the evil in this world. If you remember, just a quick update, in Genesis chapter 3, when evil is entering the world, right, as the curses are, are setting in on Adam and Eve, right, as they're getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden, God hatches a plan and says that there is going to come somebody that puts an end to all of this evil. That's the first time we see the hope of the gospel. And, that's, and from that moment till now, God has been working that plan into motion. And we know that the center of that plan is Jesus. And we know that he has the power to defeat death that, that was talked about in Genesis chapter 3 because he rose again. So we have a hope. And I mentioned that we're going to go through all of Scripture today, right? We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to work our way through the Old Testament, go through the Gospels. And we're going to end in Revelation. Revelation 21, this is a passage of Scripture that I think is important for every Christ follower to know and to look to. It's one that should, should supply us with hope. Now, the book of Revelation, for the most part, is, is kind of scary. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of signs and, and, and some visions that are, that are pretty nutty, but there are a few chapters that we can really latch onto, and I, and I encourage you to know because it will supply you with hope. So Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the part that I really want us to focus in on. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. We've been talking about all night this idea of this spiritual order that God created, that God saw as good, that was contaminated by sin. And now we're seeing at the end of Scripture that God is going to reestablish that order and he's going to make all things new. We are going to know what it's like to be with God. We know that that is going to happen once Jesus returns. Jesus will one day reestablish God's spiritual order and that's one thing that should give us hope. So yes, we are looking at the book of Proverbs, but we have to understand that this book is working with all of Scripture. And if we don't understand what Jesus does for us and the power and the message of the gospel, we can read verses like Proverbs 22, 6 and, 22, 6 and verse 8 as well and, and look at that and say, the world is unfair. What are you talking about, Solomon? That This isn't the case. I see all the time good things happening to bad people. But we know that through the lens of the gospel, through the work of Christ, that he is working all things to our good. And we can look to him with hope. And so as we close tonight, I want us to understand that God gives us the tools we need to live a good life and, and the hope to know it can be achieved. So for those of you that are beaten up by the unfairness of this world, those of you that are suffering and toiling, those of you that are uncomfortable hearing this, this word, I understand that and I've been in your, in, in your shoes before, but we have to understand that we serve a God that loves us and that died for us and has now hatched a plan for us to have hope in. 
He has given us the ability to live a good life and, we, and, and the ability to look towards the future and not get brought down by the, by the weights of the unfairness and the toil and the evil in this world, but instead to look up to God and have hope. And so I pray as we approach the book of Proverbs that we can see that we can live a good life and we can also have hope knowing that it can all be achieved